So today, folks, we are up to our third segment where we're learning about the topic of Judaism, a value system or a legal system. And today we're going to be talking about a case study of un- animal treatment. Another way some people like to phrase this is animal rights. I'm not sure that's the, the direction we're going to go. We're going to talk about it from the perspective of humans. Um, animal treatment. Um, it starts off actually just one of my favorite jokes um, from, from, uh, from many, many years ago. It's about a fellow who walks into the pet store one day and he sees that the, the parrots are for sale. And you know how parrots are. Parrots are very expensive. He's looking at them. It's $1,500, $2,000 for these parrots. And there's one marked down at $75. <laughs> so he says to the, the owner, what, what, could, what could be wrong? Well, what's, what's the issue with this one? And so he says, well, it has a little bit of a language problem. It came from a little bit of a battered household. Um, so, um, so he says, well, how bad could it be? Right, you know, $75. It's like going out for dinner. So he says, so he buys the parrot. And really, it's a beautiful bird. It's a beautiful bird he has in the house. And, there's, and it doesn't seem to be too much of an issue. But after the first week or two, it start, you know, starts opening up its beak. And all kinds of filthy words start to start falling out. And, you know, and so, you know, he, 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 he knows how to educate. So he, you know, he starts training it. And he starts putting it on the other side of the house. And he works with, its, he, he works with training and taking away its food and trying to regulate it. But it doesn't seem to work. And the more he, the more he works with it, the, the, the more... Uh, foul the language becomes and the more embarrassing it is and you know and after one particularly uh, embarrassing episode with his uh, his uh, boss over and his wife for dinner and um, all kinds of profanities streaming forth from the other side of the house he decides that's it and he takes the bird and he puts it in the freezer um, and uh, and uh, and he said i'm going to show it a lesson give that give that bird a, a, a lesson and the screaming is incredible from behind the other side of the door and uh, after a while, um, it quietens down in silence. And he says, you know, oh, gosh, you know, I really, maybe I went too far. Maybe I was a little extreme. Um, and so, and uh, he, he, he runs over to the freezer and he opens up the door. And the parrot steps out. The parrot looks up at him and then looks down at the ground and says, my dear sir, I have to apologize. My behavior has been completely unbecoming over the last, uh, the, the last months. And I've embarrassed you and your family. And I truly apologize. We're going, you're going to see a new leaf. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And I will be a new parrot from here on inwards. The man said, wow, that's, that's quite something. He says, I just have one question. He said, what do the turkey do? <laughs> anyway, so when it comes down to this topic of animal treatment, we have to start at the beginning. We have to start at the beginning and try to appreciate this. You should know that at, at, it is estimated in the year 2019, 80 billion land animals were killed for, the, for human consumption, 72 billion of those being chickens, just uh, in terms of the actual, the actual numbers. And so there's an incredible amount of animal consumption that's going on in the world today, today as, as, as we speak. Um, on the other hand, if you, start, if, you, if you Google real estate planning and animals, you will read a long history of many, many animals that are received. We're not talking about to sustain them on a budget for little you know, doggy bowls and, uh, for, for a year or two. We're talking about millions of dollars that animals were endowed with. And it, it's so interesting that there's so many different camps about how are we relate to animals. And there are those who invest in incredible amounts of money and care deeply and will even speak of their animals like their family, like an extension of their family. And then there are other people who don't really care what it takes or how much of waste is going into um, killing, eating, destroying, or cruelty to animals as well. And there seems to be very different camps when it comes to this. I was once in Albany um, um, on a mission to, uh, related to, um, with, the, with the OU's, um, with the OU's um, program for advocacy for school programs for private school tuition. 
um, and and we bumped into the group. We were there, you know, advocating for um, private school tuition, and we were there with the Stop the Racehorse group. You know, like there was a, there were, you know, there's all kinds of so so you, you meet all kinds of people, and there's very different groups, and people have very high passion or very dispassionate about this topic in general. And the question is, where does the Torah stand? And it's a very instructive topic for a simple reason is that the Torah doesn't explicitly talk about this. So this moves into the zone of what's called the Ratzada Torah um, parasha, the idea of what the Torah wants from us, how we're supposed to intuit that, and, um, and then how do we regulate those ideas. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few clues um, in, this, in this topic. Then we're going to look at how that expresses itself and some of the limits that Allah has created on a, on a normative basis. And Judaism, like in most cases, is, is in the gray zone. It's not something where it's all or nothing, it's not broad strokes, it's Judaism has, has, uh, has, has a more subtle approach to things as well. So let's start, let's start at the beginning. The Torah tells us two times what seems to be a similar mitzvah. In fact, one of them appears in, in the parashas Mishpatim, which we just passed. It says, Ki sira chamor If you see the donkey of your enemy, Right, so how does a person have an enemy? Are we allowed to have enemies? Okay, but be it as it may, you're a person you really dislike. So I'll give you an example. Actually, we're reading at the Shabbos table. So th- this, is, this, is a, uh, this is not to do with animals, but it's a, a similar kind of concept. A taxi is called, this is before the Uber days, a taxi is called to a particular uh, crossroads to pick up a passenger. It's a long trip. He's going to earn a lot of money on this trip. And as he's about to get there, another taxi pulls up and says, oh, you, you, did you call? It would remind me where we're going, but then I'm, I'm happy to take you and picks up his fare. You know, and uh, and then and, and drives off, and he's so mad, and he's driving, all, and, he, and he, car- he carries on driving, and five blocks down, he sees that this guy broke down, and he's flagging down people to try to, do, he needs help. Should he help him or not, right? So, so you could classify that as sonna'aka, somebody who's just taken, do you help other people? But yeah, it's more complicated, because it's not just his taxi, it's his donkey. And the, 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 the Torah says, azov ta'azov imoy, help him. Similarly, we see later on in Tvarim, in Kiseitse, This is the donkey of your friend, and you need to, you cannot hide yourself, you cannot avoid, um, avert your eyes from them, you need to help with them. Now, what does that mean precisely? So, it's it's seen to be understood that the one over here is a mitzvah, what's called prika, another one is called te'ina. So these are two separate commandments. Prika literally means, lifrok is? Unload. To unload. To unload the animal. And the other one is lit on, which is? Load. To reload. Right? So there's two separate mitzvahs over here. Which is which? The language itself isn't uh, so obvious in the psukim. But the tradition we have is, anyone want to take a guess? Which one is the unloading? Which one is the loading? First one's unloading. What would give it a, a clue to us to, that, 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 that there's a, there needs to be unloading in the first one as opposed to the second one? So as tachasma is ravets tachasma, it seems to be crouching, which means the beast seems to be in distress of sorts, right? It's 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 not it's not managing this. So the helping there is to help unload the beast, and in fact the the Gemara explains that all the opinions in Babi Mitzvah Daflam and tells us that all the opinions in this topic all believe the same concept. What's the same concept? that there is more of a requirement to help when it comes to perika, to unloading, than when it comes to reloading. I'll give, I'll give examples in halacha. Number one is, well, just you can see in the language of the Pasuk. The Pasuk de- demands us to go even further for our enemy for perika, meaning to say that the requirement of unloading is so strong it will even be in the st- situation of 
a enemy. That's an interesting example. But uh, um, more than that is, let's say, even, even though it says imoy with them, with that person, what happens if the owner says, hey, I know you've got a mitzvah <laughs> to unload my animal and I'm going to sit over here smoking my, 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 uh, my cigar while you do your mitzvah, right? So are you, do, do you have a requirement? So in that, the answer is, in the case of unloading, yes. In the case of reloading, not so fast. You don't have to volunteer. You can now charge him for your time. You can say, yeah, well, actually, but my hourly rate happens to be when I get to my office is $452 an hour. So we're going to prorate that and we'll see how fast I get this done. And you can then uh, you can start, uh, you can take it from there. Um, but, uh, but so this, this, uh, the Gomorrah makes an assumption that everybody agrees that prick or unloading is more consequential, we'll call morally consequential, and therefore halachil consequential, than te'ina. And, the, and why is that, the Gomorrah says, because tsar ba'alei chayim da'araisa, because the factor which is over here, which is additional, is the pain of that animal. The pain of the animal, which is why there's more of a requirement when it comes to unloading. There could be another reason as well, by the way. What's another reason that you, could, you, you might be able to argue that unloading is better? Good financial loss, right? So you could just look at it, which means then you're essentially quantifying the animal as an asset rather than a being, right? If you, if you look at it from that perspective. And the Gora does entertain that. But just to be aware of it, there are multiple ways of examining or, or considering this, this, the, this, this situation. Okay, folks? That's, that, that's example number one. We're actually going to follow just in the first part of here some of the ideas that are mentioned in Rav Asher Weiss's Sefer called Minchas Asher in Devarim Simen Nun Aleph. In Kisaitza, he tracks this and he makes a few suggestions. We're going to take it from there and go beyond. So let's, uh, let's look at a few other examples. So in Source 3, Rashi says, uh, and this is quoting Rashi in the Gemara, he says, uh, in which he says this point as well. We're going to go move, move into the next one, which is the Meirian Bab Metziah also says, um, Rav Menachem Meirian, Source 4 says, so the fact that the Torah is more, more concerned about unloading than, off, than unloading up, we have to be careful about the treatment of animals. If you read the Pesukim, it's not so clear that the one is more weighted than the other in the actual Pesukim themselves. You're not allowed to muzzle your ox while it is thre- while it's plowing. Oh, so while, while it's threshing. Okay, threshing is where it's pulling a, um, a person on a board over the seeds to grind, not grind them, but to separate them from the chaff. That's the pre-winnowing stage. And you're not, not allowed to muzzle it. Why would it be in your interest as a farmer to muzzle it? Because it's going to start eating, right? But on the other hand, it's a hungry, it's a hungry cow. It's a hungry ox. So we're not allowed to do that. And the Meiri says, you see from here that even without the parika and Te'ina and the weighting of those two mitzvahs, clearly the Torah cares about the ox. In fact, if you want to go one step further, it's interesting to note something fascinating. And that is that when it comes to this mitzvah, there is a parallel mitzvah when it comes to human beings, which is, what, what, what are we saying essentially here? A beast of burden, while it's on the job, you're not allowed to withhold food. Can we think of another mitzvah that relates precisely to that? 
So let's say a person's a worker in another person's field. They are allowed to eat from the trees. They're not allowed to store. You know, I've got a backpack, you know, a hiking backpack. No, that's not allowed. But you, you, you're allowed to take the grapes. You're allowed to take the fruit and eat while on the job. And it's, it, it's interesting that the Torah mandates the same thing for one's animal at the same time. An animal and a worker have the same in the category in the terms of sensitivity the Torah provides towards them. Similarly, we see in, um, in this example in the idea of feeding animals as well. When it comes to feeding animals, there is a halacha, and the Gomorrah Brachos describes this, that one has to feed one's animals before one eats. In fact, so much so the Gomorrah describes, is there a, if there's a discrepancy, let's say, that I have not yet eaten, and, I, I, and, I'm try, and I've washed, and I need to make an interruption in Brachos, would calling somebody or reminding somebody to fill the, the bowl for my dog be an interruption? The Gomorrah says, no, because you're not really allowed to eat until your animals have eaten. That's, uh, that, that's how far it goes. And the She'elas Yavetz, Rav Yaakov Emden, when commenting on this, um, on this, I just put a little arrow in source 5, where he says, Why would the Torah do this? Where do we get this from? So the Torah wants us to be merciful people. The Torah wants us to be caring people. Similarly, in the Sefer Haredim, it's so interesting, this, 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 this Sefer is broken up into mitzvahs which are um, dependent on different parts of the body. And so in this chapter, which is chapter, I think, 14, um, this is, yeah, Perik Yudalad, this is about what he calls mitzvahs hatuluyas bagaron, the mitzvahs which are dependent on the throat. Is that interesting? So he talks about all the eating-related mitzvahs. And the first thing he says is he, he describes the, um, the importance of eating, and then he says in the second paragraph on top of page three, So this, this, this person, Rav Yitzhak Ashkenazi, looked in the face of a, of a person who was a learned person. I see that there's in your face, I sort of see there's something wrong, and I see that your treatment of animals has an indiscretion in it. What does that mean? He said, wait a second, is there anything I'm doing which is not correct? Have I put any parrots in the freezer recently? Like, what am I doing? Right? So he says, His wife would not feed their chickens in the morning. She just let them forage, you know, let them find their things. And he said to her, no, it's appropriate that we should feed our livestock. The next time he appeared in front of the road, the road said, I, I, it seems it's, uh, it's cleared. And afterwards, a, a post facto, he told him about this. And therefore, he says, why is this? Where do you get this from? This is an expression of walking in the ways of Hashem. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares about these things. Um, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Racham. God cares about all His creations. As an example, notice these are all we'll called prescriptive hints. Where the Torah tells us one thing and there's a mitzvah. And what we, we're seeing coming out of that, exuding from that, is a sensitivity. Whether it's the way that we unload, whether it's the way we don't muzzle, whether it's the, it's the way that we, uh, that, that we, are, we walk in his ways. However, just a second, just one more example of this. Is another example of this is where it says, There's a prohibition about harnessing to your plow share. Again, you know, it doesn't know about plows anymore these days. It's like really good to go visit, uh, you know, Amish town out in Pennsylvania just to sort of see how these things 
really work. And, and so, the, so it, it, there's a, uh, the, the plow essentially is a, the, the more primitive, older plows was a hook essentially, which would, which would enable us to break through the ground in order to make, uh, to open it up, to churn the ground, to bring the, the, un, the soil underneath to the top and allow the seeds to go in. To, and so in order to do that, it's very hard to do that. They would attach, they would harness it to an animal, two animals, and there could be a yoke. So the, um, let's say you, you're, uh, under the yoke you put an ox and a donkey together. The Torah says you cannot do that. Why? It says the Ibn Ezra very simply. Just look at it. A donkey is a strong animal, so he's to burden, but it ain't anything compared to, a sh- uh, to an ox pound for pound. That ox has got much more muscle on it. And therefore, the donkey is going to be at a loss. It's going to be trying to be, it's going to be the weaker partner, trying to pull this, uh, this, this, this plowshare, and it's not, it's not going to be doing a great job. So another example where this, this is seen as, in, in what we'll call the Jewish understanding of things, from the Torah's, uh, from the Torah's prescriptions as a way of, um, of caring for animals as well. The most fascinating, yeah, yes, Doctor. I was going to ask you, too, is this based on the fact that there is an inherent right to the animal to its own kindness, or because God wants to inculcate us good meadows? Good, I'll come back to that in a second. So we haven't got any whys yet, but just looking at these, or we're just called prescriptive hints. Come back to that point, is the why a little, a little deep in a moment. But um, right now, if you look at these things and you say to yourself, well, technically speaking, all I'm doing is I'm ensuring that my oxes and my, and my donkeys are not on the same team. Well, you know, I've done what the Torah, check, I've done what the Torah, the Torah says. You're ignoring what the Torah wants. What does the Torah want from us? Well, I'm giving you an example, says the Torah, of, mm-hmm. of what it means. And therefore, the next time when it comes to how you feed your animals, then it comes to how you treat your animals, you're going to extrapolate from this and you're going to now treat your animals in a different way. That's, that's what we're just we're seeing from this, is, uh, is, is understanding what the Torah is. I think the most fascinating of all of these is not a prescriptive one, but rather a descriptive one, where the Torah describes an action which seems to, uh, that the Torah um, dislikes or looks down upon treating animals foully. And what's that example? Says the Rambam, fascinating where in the Torah does it go out its way to, to, to besmirch a person who ill treats their animals? So it says says, The angel says, Why were you beating your donkey? Right, he goes on to explain that it was not listening to me, and you know, the whole thing like that. But what is the basic assumption of that angel? Is what in the world are you doing? On what, what right do you have to be, to, to be hitting your animal unnecessarily? Control your temper. <coughs> And learn, and learn how to work with your animal, right? And so the Rambam says, from this descriptively, it's not a prescription, the Torah is not telling us. The Torah is describing a conversation between an angel and Bilam, but this is, this is what we'll call category two of the way that we learn this, uh, which is what we discussed two weeks ago in Conveying the Better Principles. This is not a mitzvah, this is a narrative, and in the narrative emerges a value. And the value is, is, is don't be like this foul-tempered, um, self, uh, self-centered, narcissistic individual, right? So um, we're, we're going to try to be a little more like that as well. That's what Ram says in, um, in Morinavuchim. And an interesting example the Gemara describes of this, where, um, which, which is, this is also descriptive of this, is the in Bab Metziah, and it's a terrifying story. It says, Ayadeh Ma'aseh. Bo, Bo, it describes that Yuranasi, the author of the Mishnah, or the redactor of the Mishnah, um, had suffering, and he, he, he contracted some sort of disease or illness, and it says that he got it through an, uh, through an action. What was that? Mahi, hahu egla da So he, he was sitting one day, and there was a calf that was being taken to slaughter. It was, uh, it was uh, slated to be, to be turned into food. Azal talye le reishe 
and so it 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 came and it, and it put its head in his lap, right? It was obviously kind of realizes, or perhaps it was just 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 uh, scared of the, all the noise and what was going on. And it started crying. Um, so he says, "Go, go! Like, what are you? Why are you nuzzling up to me? You, this is why you're created. You are created to be a hamburger, essentially, right?" He says, um, "Omri." Because he was not more sensitive to this calf, he contracted illness, God forbid. The Goran says, And it was through his actions that the disease left. So his maidservant was busy um, cleaning the house out. So she was sweeping these weasels. I guess she found some rodent in the house. Wonderful. Um, he says, leave them. Or perhaps, I don't know if it means leave them in the house. Or leave them to, uh, um, leave, leave them to, to not, don't kill them. Um, because why? Because he is willing to be merciful, we'll be merciful, so to speak. Upon him as well. Again, this is not a mitzvah. The Torah, the Gemara is not prescribing something here. The Gemara is describing. Now, you may say because Rebbe was extra, uh, extra important. Rebbe was so was such a sensitive human being, so he was judged very finely. That very that's true. But there is an aspirational element over here where we ourselves, in the way that we treat even the vermin, it seems like is uh, is even. The cow that's going to, to, be, to be slaughtered, there's an element of, of care that is required. This is a descriptive element of it. So we ask ourselves, and, and so um, before we get into the limits of this and the reasons for this, there's just a beautiful statement that the way that Rabbi Sachs describes it in a, a, an essay he has in Kisates on animal, animal Welfare. And listen to this quotation. He says, Judaism regards animals as sentient beings. They do not think or speak, but they do feel. They are capable of distress. There is such a thing as cruelty to animals as far as possible, it should be avoided. Right? So the Torah does say, coming back to the, the point, is that the way that our sex interprets this is, the Torah understands that there is an instinctual feeling. Animals feel pain. And it's clear that animals feel pain. They may not be able to express it in the same ways as we do. Um, you cannot put them on the same couch and hear them and, and, and what, they, what, what they're going through. But they do experience pain, and we are expected to withhold that. Whether that's pain of hunger, whether that's pain of treatment, whether that's pain of fear, as an example, these are all emotions that animals instinctually feel as well. Yes, Rosemary. So that's we should buy those mouse patches and those patches. <laughs> Sorry, I, those I don't know. There are, there are different ways of getting rid of mice, Not but the, the glue, the glue traps, the glue, the glue traps are probably a very cruel way to kill, to kill them. It, it takes a very long time for them to. To, to die, the, the snap traps are a little uh, faster when it comes to when it comes to, uh, to to that as well. So there might be a little bit of a, a difference when it comes to that. Um, but um, we, we have to also consider if there's a concern for human safety as well, which is also part of the, the cheshbon. But let's get to that in just a moment. So what's the reason for this rule? So this comes back to a very very fascinating observation. This is a very famous idea, but it's important to just review it quickly. The Torah gives us another example where we seem to care about the instinct of animals. And that is, is about mothers and children. There's a few instances where the Torah is careful or, or considerate about the feeling of a mother animal to a child animal. And one example is, is what's called Shiloh HaKain, where the mitzvah is that if you need the eggs or if you need the young, you need to send away 
the mother bird before taking them as well. Why is that? And the Rambam says precisely this, which is in source 13 in the Morin of Uchim. The Rambam in the, uh, in the third section of Morin of Uchim says, There's another mitzvah, which is, you're not allowed to shecht an animal and its child, its, uh, its offspring, on the same day. That's a, that's a, a mitzvah in the Torah. Because the primary reason is that, God forbid, an, a mother animal should not see her young being slaughtered in front of her. There's a lot of pain the animal experiences. That instinctual feeling of a mother to a child is the same as, as is found in human beings, says the Rambam. Meaning, that is an inbuilt algorithm into, into motherhood. It is not an intellectual experience. That's after the instinctual ability to, so to speak, or um, which is literally it's a feeling or a sense of the child. And that's a specifically about animals which are domesticated, which we can eat. And they recognize their children. The Ramam goes on to say, also, and that's the reason for Shiloh Cain as well, because how could you take the eggs away from a mother? I don't know if you, uh, when, when I was young, I remember there was uh, on the, the soccer field, the football field we used to go to, uh, inevitably at one season there would always be birds that would put their nests somewhere. And you could know you could come, that you're in that area because the mother would start screaming at you if you were within, you know, 20 feet of the, of the nest. You know that somehow she just laid eggs. Right, there's a, they were just really, really, really protective, you know. Then most animals are not dangerous unless you get between them and their young, right? So if you're out, if you're out in the in the wilds and you see a rhinoceros, you want to just make sure that behind you is not its young. That's the, that's the, that's the worst thing, right? So you want if you if you see an elephant, you want to just make sure that you're not between the mother and the baby. It's just basic rules. Of, uh, of, 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 of engagement in the wild, because when it comes to the uh, parent-child relationship, as the Ramah says, uh, it is real, and we are not allowed to create that pain. Yes, Tibi. It's interesting, but you can't shake them both on the same day, but you can shake the young today, the mother tomorrow. Good, okay, good. So one of the criticisms of the Ramah's observation over here, and I mean the limitations of the Ramah's intuition over here, is precisely that point. So the, Ramah, the Ramban, Nachmanides, asks on the Ramah, and he says, Really, the mitzvah should be benoiva oisai, meaning really the problem is is the young first and the mother. But technically, on the same day, you could kill the mother and then the and then the baby, right? That if if you wanted to sort of if it's precisely about the Rambam's reasoning, that's one of the questions you could ask on the Rambam as well. It doesn't seem that the Rambam's um, ideology or his, or his perspective in this mitzvah is encompassing enough. That's one of the que- the many questions the Ramban asks on the Rambam. So yeah, you know, right, you're right. So when it comes to regulation, you're right. So the Ramam would answer by saying is that the Torah is regulating. And when it comes to regulating the masses, it's too subtle as <laughs> you talk about orders. You just say, don't do it. And everybody says, yes. And then, that everything, and then we work it out. That would be the way the Ramam says, and that's how regulation works. Law does not work with subtlety. It doesn't say, oh, in specific precise cases, that, because people don't get that. They don't understand subtlety. So, so that, that would be the way Ramban says it. But Ramban asks that question. The Ramban says, the Rambam, in fact, is, incre- is off his mark. This is, this is not correct. Um, and he quotes a number of proofs. And he says, ultimately, and I, to me, this is always just a beautiful, very powerful 
paragraph in Source 5. It's an extremely long essay that Ramban has in Parshas Kisaitse, but the part that's relevant to us is in the second paragraph where he says, When we do a mitzvah, it's not about the outcomes, it's rather about the process itself that is trying to, we're trying to eradicate within ourselves some sort of corrupt character or, or belief system. Or to educate ourselves, re-educate ourselves about Hashem's interaction with this world. That's what it means. The mitzvahs are, what's the tzareif? What's the exact word? To purify, to smelt. To smelt the human being. That's what the point of the mitzvah is. That you should be like smelted silver. When you smelt um, silver, how do you do it? You ratchet up the temperature to an ex- extraordinary heat. You put the silver in it, and it's, and it's not refined. And at the, that extreme temperature, all the dross moves to the side, so it floats to the side. Then you, have the, you pour out the pure silver. That's what Hashem is doing to us. And that's why we do it not because of what we're trying to produce, not because we're saving any animals, but because... We're becoming better people. And therefore he says, which says, um, So the Medrash says, it's really matter how we kill an animal? Like that we slaughter it, we put a hole through it, so like why? Why, why specifically is this the prescribed method? That the mitzvahs were really not given for the outcome, but rather to smelt us, to become more sensitive. And shchita is more sensitive of a method of, of killing when it, comes to, when it comes to this as well. The Ramban therefore says that the mitzvah shiloh hakein is not predominantly to save a mother from pain, but for us to be sensitive to a mother's pain, if that makes sense. Okay, so it's more about us, the process oriented, than the outcome. Now, it may yield the same, the same result, but in the end of the day, that's not the reason for it, says the Ramban. Fascinating and very important debate about this, and we just talked, we learned a little bit about this yesterday when it comes to the stalker paradigm. Is tzedakah, is charity there to help create a welfare state, or is it there to help us refine ourselves in becoming more uh, more refined and, and sensible people to the needs of others. And it may, in, fa- in fact, be that as the Rambam himself argues in that case, is it might actually be about us more than it is the outcome. And it yields perhaps a society of givers and kind people, but it's, that was not, that's the <laughs> byproduct of, of the self-work necessary as well, as, as an example of here. I do want to just comment that there is a third and fascinating reason which is to be observed, um, which is the Zohar quotes on Shiloh HaKain, which is, actually, the Chavaz Yara quotes this in Source 15. He says, It's to create pain. Meaning, what do you, you think the mother bird doesn't see what you're doing? Right? Like, you, you chase away the mother bird. Where is she? She's on the branch of the tree above you as you're taking those eggs. So it's in order to create the pain of separation in the first place with the mother and the eggs. eggs. By creating the pain of separation of no, the mother bird knowing that something is awry, and you're and you're sending her away to handle her nest, then our Baruch Hu is that pain 
um, is registered, and it's to, to, to reawaken the pain that the Almighty's Shechina feels because of the separation of her children, which is us, in Golis. And therefore, through that process, through that process, we are, I mean, there, there's an element of Rachmeh Shoaim, which leads to an interesting halakhic question, and that is, is, let's say you're walking along, and you see a mother bird on the nest, but guess what? You've had breakfast. You don't eat spam, spam, the, the, the eggs, um, the, these types of eggs. They're too small. You have no interest in the eggs. What should you do? Let's go through the, 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 the reasons for right now. According to the Rambam, that it's in order to avoid the mother, the mother going through pain, then you should carry on walking. If it's, a, if it's because of your sensitivity to animals, then guess what? You should... Carry on walking, right? Because that's not, you're not creating any, you're not doing anybody a favor. You're not doing the mother bird a favor. So, uh, um, if the reason is, if the reason is about, um, if the reason is, is about creating this rift between a mother and her children, Kabbalistically speaking, and it's in order to remind HaKadosh Baruch about the rift between the Shechina and her children, well, in that case, then there might be a reason to do that. So let's review that quickly again. According to the Ramban and the Rambam, whether it is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares about the feelings of animals, the extinctual feelings of animals, or whether it is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares about us becoming better people, if we see a nest and we don't need the eggs, there would be the rational and necessary halachic response according to them would be not to take the eggs, not to send away the mother bird. And that's precisely what the Chassam Sofer says in his Chuvos, in Shuvas Chasm Sofer, Orachaim Simon Kuf, the 100th response in the section of Orachaim. He says clearly it is not a chiv, it's not a chiv in the same way, it's only if you need it, and that's relating as he quotes the Ramban and the Rambam. However, if you see that the Chavois Yair, as he quotes the Zohar, that there's actually a practical toelis, there's a practical outcome of it being a Kabbalistic idea of separating the children from the mother to be ma'orer, to wake up the Shechina from its separation from its children to bring Geula, then there'd be a positive reason. The Chassam Sofer quotes this Chavos Yair and he says, when we are, it is clearly not the case that this is what the Gomorrah says. This is clearly in the Torah's Hanistar. This comes from Kabbalistic ideas. And when we have a conflict between Kabbalistic and when we have uh, and explicit aspects of the Torah regard to the explicit and the Chassam Sofer says one would not need to. However, you'll notice today that there's a large encouragement to do this and that's because there's many Sigulas which are associated with one is as the Zohar is quoted in the Chavos Yare is saying which is the very well-known idea but there are other ideas the Arichos Yomim based on the Pasuk that this is, the, this is a, a beautiful thing. There's other, there's other ideas which are associated with the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKan which is why if you read the first halacha in Yoredah, when it describes Shiloh HaKan in, in Reish um, Tzadi Beis, where the Aracha Shulchan starts this, Rav Epstein describes that this is like the mitzvah of Hashavah Saved. It's a thing you cannot hide yourself from because it is a mitzvah chiyuvis that you have to do this. Now, it's not because the Torah disregards, it's not that, they, that, that this is disregarding what the Ramban and the Rambam had said, but it means to say that there is an overarching value of, there's an overarching um, idea which is being achieved by doing it despite 
despite the fact that the animal is suffering, even though you don't need the eggs. But that seems to be the debate over here. Again, it gets into the very notion of what is the Ratzon Torah in this case, where it perhaps is less necessary for you to actually use the eggs themselves. Now, there are limits to this rule, so let's take a look at this. These are all ideas. We looked at, we looked at essentially, generally we'll call prescriptive ideas of Ratzonah Torah, what the Torah really wants from us. We looked at the descriptive ideas of what the Torah wants from us. We looked at the, the, the important debate as to whether it's a function of the outcome or the process, the Rambam and the Ramban. Now let's look at some limitations. So not, not in every case does this, do these laws apply. So as an example, in Shulchan Aruch, the Torah, the, 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 the halacha is, is that is what about when it comes to feeding animals on Shabbos? So you're, feeding animals is, involves a significant amount of tircha and, and work, um, and uh, there's there's always always some sort of involvement um, that, that that's required. So the halacha is is you are and must feed your animals on Shabbos, but the emphasis being on the pronoun being your animals on Shabbos. So the Shulchan Aruch says in Source 16, You can't feed your bees, the bees on Shabbos, and not before, let's say, the, 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 the pigeons. Um, the, you can give in front of your chickens, your domesticated pigeons and in front of the dog that is dependent upon you. And the Mepharshim explained the halacha is that the, those that are domesticated and depend on you, you have a responsibility to. But those that are not dependent on you, wild animals, animals which are, which are, which are stray and you've not already set up the dependency um, cycle um, of feeding that cat every, every day. But um, those, those that are really stray, you do not because you're exerting effort for something which really is not upon your responsibility. And in a Shabbos setting, one should not be doing this, which actually raises an interesting issue which comes up in, around um, February time in the winter um, in America, which is Shabbos Shira, and all the kids come home with these little seed uh, platters for the, for the birds, and there's a minak to feed the birds based on the, uh, what, what happens in the, in the parasha. But uh, there are those who say, in Allah, like those birds are not upon you. Those birds are not your responsibility. And if they're not your responsibility, then you do not have that, res- that, that idea. The same thing as well. We learned before, and did you're supposed to feed animals before you eat. That, require, that means animals which need you. Right, those are the animals which need you. But that does not mean to say that I need to go out and make sure that every uh, every uh, stray cat in this neighborhood has eaten before me. It means those within my sphere of responsibility and and and, uh, and dependency, uh, as an example. So there is a limit to this. But it is starving. Yeah. Well, you know, forages around and figures things out without you. So therefore, in this situation, the halachas of before eat, before you eat or the um, or feeding on Shabbos are not. Um, not going to be sad there. What about, there's also d- grades, gradations of how much you can do. So, for instance, the Gemara talks about a case which is Paskin and Allah on Source 19. The Gemara in Shabbos Kufchal Chesom and Beis tells us, Omrav Yehuda, Omrav, Let's say that a, uh, an animal falls into an aqueduct, a, di- a, a, a dike, right? So it falls into a pit and is obviously in distress. You're not allowed to move an animal in that sense. You're not allowed to actually physically move animals on Shabbos, but you can throw things in that it can climb out with. So you can enable it to go out as well. Um, the Gemara says, The Gemara then quotes a Brasa, which suggests, says that you are allowed to throw food down into the pit that it finds itself in, and, and that's sufficient. The Gemara says, in, That would indicate that you're allowed to feed it, but 
but you're not allowed to throw the, 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 um, um, your pillars and your sheets into to create a stepping stone. By the way, what would be at, what's at stake? What's the cost? What? Um, it, it sounds like it's a, a general animal over here because animals in distress. This is not about feeding. This is this is this is an animal that's in, that's in distress. So now, if if it comes out as what would the concern be about about throwing in karim kasasos, throwing in these and uh, these pillows and and uh, and these things? Like, what's 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 the problem with that? Like, you know. So the, the Gemara actually talks about this, what's called it's an element where you're now, you're, you're taking away the usages. Once, the, once it's used, you're taking away a usage. You're limiting the usage of that Kleon Shabbos, but it's called Batel Klimei So as an example, more typical case would be, is let's say I have a candle that's dripping wax. I'm not allowed to put my cup underneath it because I'm no longer, once the wax falls into it, I can't move that cup. So I've made it muksa on Shabbos. I've now, I no longer can use it for tea. I can't use it for other things on Shabbos. So I've limited its usages. That's called Batal Klimei Echonai, which is a more irregular halacha. It's, it's very unique circumstances, but it would still apply itself, yeah? So the Gemara says, but that's what you're doing. So are you allowed to feed it, or are you allowed to go beyond that and allow it to get out? So the Gemara says, like Asha, Meaning, if you, the animal's in distress, the animal's the, the the calf is lowing, the dog is barking, the cat is 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 meowing, and it's it's stuck in the, in this pit. If it's sufficient to throw it food, and that will give it give it enough, uh, give it a long enough uh, term to be able to survive in the pit, then that's sufficient. That's what you should do, right? You shouldn't go and go to the mivatel klimei But if the, it's in a situation where that's not going to be enough, the, the animal's going berserk because it's so it's in so much distress, then you should abso- uh, absolutely overrule this particular element of mukta in order to, 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 to save it as well. Which means that is tzar a ticket to do anything? The answer is no. There's gradations depending on the level of distress. In the case where you get throwing at um, food, you may have not resolved the issue. It's still in discomfort, but it's not in distress, as an example. So there, are, the, the, when, when you have a question about Sarah Chaim, you have to ask yourselves, is what's at stake? Like, what's the cost of what I'm doing? And also, and, and what am I achieving in terms of the animal's state of comfort as well, which is important as well? Yes. So this is talking about a domesticated animal or a random animal? It, it sounds like it's, it, it sounds random at this point in time. It sounds random at this point in time. It's implied that there'd be an obligation to go out and save animals when it's not Shabbos, but there's no cost in halacha. That's true. I don't know if it's going out. Meaning, again, to, halacha talks about what's in your orbit. In your orbit in this situation. I'm walking, this apply to ants or this only to animals? Does it apply to insects? I'm walking in the forest. Good, we'll get that in a second. Uh, we'll get to, to insects. But certainly in my orbit, I don't know if I need to go out into, you know, into sub-Saharan Af- Africa and go and find the poachers and, you know, tackle them down bodily now because they are, and that's happening all the time, Right. But I don't know if that's, uh, that it's at my, my immediate requirement, but I certainly need to do everything I can with anything within my space and orbit. The Torah does mandate what's happening around me. That's a very important point, a piece of, yeah, we, a, a little bit yesterday about effective altruism relates to this. It's, you know, there's needs all over the world. There's terrible things happening to humans and to, uh, and to animals everywhere in the world. How, how far is the, the, the Torah requires us to ensure that that which is immediately around us is, is certainly taken care of. That's what seems to be over here. You're walking along and you see, right? Now, the, the, another example is what about, um, oh, this is an interesting situation here. The Shoharach talks about um, is, um, is, is cases where, let's say, an animal is needed for medical needs. Right? There's a certain medical need that an animal uh, is necessary for as well. So the Shoharach is talking about cirrus, which is at least uh, castration. We're not going to focus on that right now. Um, but he does talk about it, um, um, the, the Ramah at the very end over here, at the very top of page 7. The Ramah says, Kol Davar, in the middle of the line, 
after the little parentheses, Kol davar hatzarich l'refua or l'shar dvarim leis be mishum tzara ba isr tzara If an animal would need to suffer in order for a human being to be healed, then you don't have to be concerned about tzara ba in that situation. Um, and then he says, so apparently there was some therapy, and I don't know what this was in those, in those days. They would pluck the feathers off a living duck, and, they, and, uh, and they were, I don't know if, it, if what was necessary because of that, whether something they were extracting, um, or they needed the duck to be slaughtered as feathers. I don't know what the, the particular therapy was in those days, at least the medical science in those days. Um, but but the, the Ramos says it will be all right. He says, but people don't do that. That's extreme cruelty. If there's another way around, if there's another a way to get to get the outcome. But the rule is, in general, is that if an animal needs to be in uh, in this case killed not for food but for medicinal properties, that would be allowed. And an extension of that is asked to the Shah, uh, the Shuas Yaakov. Um, Rav Yaakov ben Yosef Reicher, um, who was a Rav in Austria in the 1600s, um, who was asked the following question. Look at the question he was asked in Source 21. He says, he, he quotes a question from Rav Menachem Dayan Vermeizia. So Rabbi Menachem was a judge in Worms. He quotes this Rav David Weisel. Am I allowed to kill an animal because of Safi Pikuach Nesh? What's the example? It does not have the FDA approval yet, the particular intervention that he is doing. Right? So, <laughs> before clinical trials and, and control groups, right? <laughs> that would bring over. Rex, you know, <laughs> and uh, give give it to to him and see what happens. And if Rex does not survive, then probably we're not gonna we're not gonna put that on the shelf, right? So, but 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 it's interesting because we're not dealing with like you know mass production. We're dealing with a specific case over here, and uh, and so. Right, and by the way, we do do this. Absolutely, we do. But on a large extent, the clinical trials always start with animals. In fact, there are laboratories which, which engineer mice just for experimental medical purposes. So you're right, there's Pico Nefesh, but the person was a Soviet Pico Nefesh. And what happens over here is, is, um, is that this is not the only way of res- resolving the issue. This is just testing the issue. So it's a few steps away. Yeah, yeah, so cosmetic issues as well. So uh, so he actually, the, the, the Shvus Yaakov actually is a trendsetter when it comes to this. And he says, um, you know, I, 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 it's actually a very long trip, but I put in the, in the next line where it's, the first one is Mipnei Chasidosoi. He says, even the case of the of the of the of the of the ducks having their their uh, their their feathers taken out. Right, so if you're doing something active like that, that's terrible. That should be avoided. But if there's going to be a clinical trial which is necessary and it, the animal may suffer, 
Um, if, um, but it's less, we'll call it direct, in terms of the animal. You try to refine the medicine. You're not trying to kill the animal. You're trying to refine the medicine. You're trying to refine the, the, the it, And if it happens to be that that animal does suffer because you have not fine-tuned it enough, that still is necessary for the, for, for the co cost of development, at least in the, in the world of medicine as well. And the, the rest of the three-day age talks about a similar expression today. And he allows even for cosmetic as well in, when it comes to this. Another qu question which was asked is a very famous question that was asked to the Nadi Yehuda, the Rav of Prague following the Maharal, Rav Cheska Landau, and he was asked, listen to this, this uh, the crazy, crazy question that he was asked, um, which was in, on the top of page 8. He says, This is like the first time he's got this, this Jew who suddenly is, is, receive, is able to buy an estate. Now, folks, we're in the 1700s. This has never happened. You know, like Jews did not own estates in Europe in, uh, up till then. They weren't allowed to. Right? So this is the, the turning point in the enlightened world. This fellow buys a large, uh, you know, estate. We're not talking about, you know, acres. We're talking about he owns villages, right? The good old estates, right? <laughs> like, you know, fiefdoms, right? So he, uh, he owns um, forests. He owns villages. And in the forests exist all animal, uh, all types of um, regular animals living there. What does that mean? Can he use his rifle? Can Jews hunt? Now it never came up because just Jews never had the opportunity of even being enfranchised enough to have that opportunity to act to act like the 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 the, the folks around them who do that all the time. Right, so that was the question, is this, is this a Jewish type of thing? It's interesting, I'm sure there were many times this happened without the question being answered, but nonetheless, um, he was asked, this was a, a, a from real estate owner, okay, so, <laughs> um, so he goes into a long discussion about whether technically speaking, for Tzorech, is there Tzar Balechaim, is there Baal in this situation, uh, as, as a whole, and then he, at the end of it, he just says, like, this is like he sort of, he lets loose, and he says in the last paragraph, and it's a long show, I just quoted the pieces of here, he says, Omnam, Mo'odanitama al-Gufa Davar, He's like, I'm just like, I'm really like surprised at this question, to be honest. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, like, you know, read what the Torah says about the hunters of the Bible, you know. They're not good people, right? <laughs> There's no two ways about it. That's not the way Jews are supposed to be, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you shouldn't just go, you know, he's talking about furs and, and, and killing animals just for their furs. That's not the way we're supposed to be. It's possible. There's animals which die and you can use their, their things. But to go kill those animals for that, you should, you should be careful about this as long before Peter. So you're just like, what, you got free time and you want to act like the regular fellow over there who's got his bugle and his dogs because you want to, you know, you're like, and that's what it means to arrive in society today. It means getting the cars and smoking the same cigars and that's society, the society around us in those days. I mean, hunting like them. So like, what, like what's, what's the toilet precisely? Right, so, like, and, and so he says, that's not, that's just not what we're supposed to do now. The, the, after he went through all the halachic proofs and he says it doesn't really add up to technically be tzara b'nechaim because there's tzarech and all the things like, and, and all the limitations. Because that's not what we're supposed to be, which means the the, the Nodabihud is saying, is, this is not the Torah 
wants from us. It doesn't want us to be hunters. It doesn't want us to, to go around shooting. We once actually had an Airbnb out in deep Pennsylvania and like, you know, and the cabin was owned by hunters and like, so every, you know, head on that wall, you know, they had a picture next to it, you know, with their crossbow and their rifle and things like that. They were very into this, you know, it was quite, it was quite, it was quite something. The kids, it was a very memorable uh, <laughs> family vacation, you know, you know, going to sleep with a moose looking at you, you know. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, like, that's not really precisely what you're supposed to be doing. Um, in, when it comes to, to, to being a, a Jew as well. And now, just another parameter of this is the Shalas Yavetz, Rav Yaakov Emden, we looked at him beforehand, um, was asked about killing insects. And so he says in, in Source 22, second paragraph of the Rat, he says, maybe Tzara Balechaim is limited to animals which are, you know, animals. You know, which are which are domesticated animals. Like the Torah talks about, like an animal which is bearing a burden. Right, so to be coming to Darshan, Darshan and time of the crow, which becomes a little dangerous here, because you, know, you say, well, you're, you're saying maybe we're limiting it. Because maybe that's what the Torah only wants from us, animals that can express in pain and, and are, are, are big enough. And even dogs and cats. They're, they're part of our lives. He says, but otherwise, like flies and vermin and things like that, really not. Don't know how that squares with the Gomorrah in Bamitsia. But Babir uh, Zemei, um, he says that, and he quotes it later on, in the next, the next column, he quotes the idea of, of Rebbe, but in the end of the day, he says that there might be that there's, there, there's, there's a limitation in terms of the smaller types of uh, animals or insects in our, in our lives as well. Um, the Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch disagrees with this. Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch says, Also, in the Torah, the Torah called Baruchayim, Baruchayim, um, the, the, the Kisra Shukhan is really worthwhile to learn because it's all of our loch in one place. Really, really worthwhile. It's not just the, 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 the stuff that we know as well. So I'd really highly recommend just going through Kisra Shukhan Simon Kuf Tzadi Aleph. He talks about Tzara Balichayim as an example. And he says, You see an animal. See an animal. That's in pain. You should go try to save it. He's Even if it doesn't belong to you, it's not about, about, it's not about property or assets. It's about the animal's pain. It belongs to non-Jew. It doesn't matter. Just save it. If they are hurting or, or paining a human being. Or they are needed for medicinal or other needs for a human being. You're allowed to kill them. You don't worry about the pain in that case. The Torah allowed us to eat animals in the end of the day. He's talking about how the, the case of the Ramah of the feather gathering. That you, 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 everybody is concerned about this because of cruelty as well. It, it seems to be that it's across the, the, the spectrum as well. Rav Moshe Feinstein actually talking on this topic as a long shiver, and he talks about insects, and he says, I'm in source 24. Okay, the, the mosquitoes bother you. Okay, the flies are, and the bees are, are, are getting in the way. He says, but in the end of the day, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go out there with your fly swat and be smashing them with your hands. There's other ways to do things. You can get fly paper, you can get bee traps, you can get all kinds of other things that are, that, that are, that are better ways of removing um, things that are bothering you without being actively wise. Is because that's not what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants us to, to ensure... Um, being, being a little more careful of things around us. The Chazanish was asked a question. There's a Dinim Vanagas Mimurana Chazanish. I love these, sorry, they're like basically little quotations of, you know, the, 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 uh, he said this on this occasion, like very like out of context topics, but there's many, many books written like this. But one of the one liners that he said that it was quoted in his name, he says, 
Um, he quotes, uh, he quotes that one, Echad Mibalabatim, Shalu al Zvuv Shem Farper, Veshashesh Ligmor Misasai. He says, he was talking about what happens if, you know, the fly is, you know, walking. <laughs> so, you know, they say, what is, what's the name of a fly without wings? It's a walk, you know, so, so it's, 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 it's the stage at the end of its life, right? So it's, it's, it's walking around. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not, it's, what, what should you do? So the Chazanish says, kill it, to put it out of its misery. Uh, which means to say that maybe sometimes in certain situations, there is, uh, is, is there, there's, there's mercy, mer, mer, mercy killings for, for this. Do you, ex- expa- do you extend this to every situation? How much of an intervention do you need to make? Obviously, this is just a simple quotation of, of the Chazanish, but here sometimes mercy may indicate um, being merciful, not playing with it, not torturing, not letting the kids dissect it, um, just do, doing something to, to end it as well. So just to, just to do a quick, quick recap over here is the complexity that Judaism has when it comes to real issues. Um, does, da, does the Torah talk about Tzar Balechaim? Well, not explicitly, but it does talk about a lot of mitzvahs which relate to animals, which give us an indication of what the Torah feels about this, what the Torah wants from us. And the Torah also describes a number of circumstances which should give us a little bit of an inkling as to the fact that what the Torah wants from us as well. Why is that? Is that a function of us becoming better human beings or because there's a natural pain that we're trying to save the animal for? A little bit of a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban. We saw that the limitations, the limitations exist, where it's not every situation is the same. It's not uh, one size fits all. When it comes to, if they're bothering us, if there's a medicinal property, when it comes to just fun or, or, or sport, um, putting something out of its, uh, out of its misery, um, if it's your animal, not your animal, um, if there's grades of alleviating pain and frustration, these are all fall into the, the, the topic of the costs and benefits, the risks and the, and, and the, and the gains from, from Tzahar Barechayim. And obviously the, the situations abound over here, but the sensitivity is clear to, 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 to us, even if not every situation is immediately obvious as to how to apply it. So Rabbis, this ends our third year, and what we're going to do next week is we're going to look at the role, role of rabbinic Judaism in understanding or regulating um, Ratzon HaTorah in the way that the Torah wants us to do things and how that interpretation is an extension of that.